right. Well, good morning, everybody. Again, it's good to be here with you. Glad that you can worship with us this morning. Um, Title of my sermon today is When God Does Something New. When God Does Something New. Now, that might sound like an interesting title to you, maybe even a strange title to you, because if you know anything about God, uh, then one of the most fundamental truths about God is that God never changes. Am I right? God never changes. The Bible says this, God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. Right? It, it says this in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no shadow or variation due to change. It also says this about Jesus. It says, Jesus Christ is the same. And you guys know this, yesterday, today, and forever. Right? God never changes. He's, he's immutable. It's one of the most fundamental truths we learn about God. He, he is who he has always been, and, and he is who he always will be. God never changes. But what's interesting when you read through the scriptures is this same God The God who never changes is always doing something new. He's always doing something new. The Bible truly is the story of God, this unchanging, immutable God, making all things new. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but but the Scriptures begin with God doing something new, don't they? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That was new. Right Before creation, there was only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally existing as as one God, perfect community, perfect fellowship, perfect love. God, he lacked nothing. He needed nothing. It was just perfect unity in the Trinity, right? But then one day, God decides to do something new, and he creates the heavens and the earth. Everything that we know, everything that exists, exists by the creative power of God of the Word of God, and that's, that's a good and, and glorious thing, isn't it? It's a good, I think about places I've been in my life. Angela and I went on our honeymoon to Clearwater, Florida. Unfortunately for us, it was right after Tropical Storm Debbie, uh, so it wasn't as beautiful, I don't think, as God intended it to be, but you've been on those white sand beaches and seen the ocean go all the way back into the horizon and watch the sun set into it, and it's just this glorious, beautiful wonderful thing. God created that, right, when he spoke all things uh, into existence. I could give you example after example. I went to um, the Grand Canyon. Anybody been to the Grand Canyon before? It's incredible. You, you go to the Grand Canyon, and, and you stand out there, and you look, and it doesn't even look real, does it? I mean, it, it's just so picture perfect. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's beautiful. And it's, it's something God created, right, when he did something new in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And so, so the Bible starts with God doing something new, right? And it, and it doesn't take long before you get to God doing something new again. He decides he's going to create a new people, a brand new people. And they're going to be his people, right? And so he calls Abraham uh, out of Ur, and, and he tells him this. He tells him, go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And so God decides he's going to do something new. He's going to create a brand new people, the people of Israel. 
And you know the story of the people of Israel, right? God, through, uh, uh, through times and, and different seasons of life, life, winds up bringing them to what is called the promised land. And they, they occupy the promised land. And, and it's not long after they are there in the promised land that God decides he's going to do something new, right? And so he raises up David. You guys know the story of David, the shepherd boy turned poet warrior, right? I mean, nobody liked David. God decides, I'm going to do something new. He says, I'm going to establish my kingdom. I'm going to establish my king on earth in this new people that I've created. So he calls David and, and he makes an everlasting covenant with him. He says this to him, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. So God does something new. He decides he's going to have a, his, he's going to uh, bring out his presence in a new way on earth through his king, his kingdom, his people, the people of Israel. And these were the glory days too, by the way, of the people of Israel. The times of King David, the times of his son Solomon, these were the glory days. They, they became prosperous. Uh, they, they occupied the territory. They had, they had rest from their enemies. Solomon built the temple of the Lord. And you can, you can read the story of, of the glory of God coming from the heavens and, and filling that place up. And, and people are struck with awe and wonder, falling on their faces, worshiping God. It's just this incredible time in the history of the people of Israel. It was the glory days. But it wasn't long after King David, really about halfway through the reign of Solomon, that things took a turn for the worse. The people of Israel had, had, had begun to reject God, to reject his ways. They began to chase after idols. They became so corrupted with sin that God had to exile them out of the promised land. And this was a dark day in the history of the people of Israel and uh, the people looked back during this time of exile, being away from the land, being uh, away from, from Jerusalem where the temple once was, being unable to offer sacrifices and to worship God. They, they would look back on the past and the great things that God had done, and it would cause them to grieve because of their present circumstances and the hopelessness of their future. But it's during this dark and trying time that God gives them a word, and he gives them a word through the prophet Isaiah. And this is what he says to them in Isaiah 43. He tells them this, Do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to things of old. Look, I'm about to do something new. There's that word, I'm about to do something new. Even now, he says it is coming. Do you not see it? And what's incredible about this word that, that he gives them at this time is he says, look, I know you're looking back at the past and you're remembering the glory days, you're remembering the great things that I've done, you're looking at your present circumstance, you're desperate, you, you, have, you don't have a hopeful outlook on the future, but I want you to know I'm about to do something new and it's going to be great and it's going to be glorious and it's going to exceed the things that I've done before. And so as you watch this, this narrative, this story unfold, you see this unchanging God doing new things. You can learn these simple truths that when God does something new, number one, it's always good. It's always good when God does something new. It's always purposeful. 
God never does something new arbitrarily. He never does something new for the sake of doing something new. There's always purpose in it. It's always redemptive, and it's always glorious when God does something new. And this trend carries over into the New Testament, right? When, when God sends Jesus, he's doing something new, right? He's, he's ushering in a new way for, for people like you and me to relate to God, no longer through the sacrificial systems, no longer uh, through human mediators, right? God will no longer be restricted to the holiest of holy places. He's doing something new, and he's coming to mankind and the person of Jesus. And so Jesus is, is doing this new thing, ushering in this new period of redemption. And, and what's amazing about this is that the people noticed this. The other religious leaders noticed this. Jesus was different. He wasn't doing things that they did. He wasn't, he wasn't praying the way they prayed or fasting the way they fasted or, or teaching the way that they taught or, or even following the rules that they kept. And so they asked Jesus about this and, and why are you doing things differently? And, and he told him this parable, and I want to share this with you. He said this. He said, no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst, the skins it will spill, and the skins will be ruined. I don't know if you know this or not, but, but 2,000 years ago they didn't bottle wine the way that we do now. They didn't have that kind of technology, and so what they would do is they'd put wine into uh, these skins, and, and as the wine would ferment, the skins would, would expand. And so if you put new wine into a, an old wineskin that had already expanded, it would cause it to expand even more and it would break and, and everything would spill out on the floor. He says, he says you don't put new wine into old skins. You put it, uh, a new wine, he says, should be put into fresh wineskins. Well, what's his point? His point is simple. He's saying you don't have categories or paradigms for the things that I'm doing because I'm doing something new. This is different. It doesn't fit into your box. It breaks your mold. God is doing something new in me and through me. And of course, the Bible ends with God doing something new, right? He creates a new heaven and a new earth, right? The Bible says death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Now, now listen to this. Then the one seated on the throne, this is God the Father, this unchanging Father God says from his throne, look, I am making everything new. It's incredible. The Bible is this story of the unchanging God who is always doing something new. It begins with him doing something new. It ends with him doing something new. And all along the way, you see God unfolding new things as a part of his plan. It's incredible. And what we see from Scripture is that when God does something new, it's always good. It's always purposeful. It's always redemptive. And it's always glorious when God does something new. And so God does new things. Right? He, does, he does new things in our lives. When, when you became a, a believer in Jesus Christ, it says that you were born again. Right? You became a new creation. The old things had passed and the new things had come. Right? He does new things in our families. He does new things in our relationships. God does new things even in our churches, even in our churches. And so what I want to talk to you about today is something new that God is doing in our church 
Hanley Baptist Church. So God burdened me for this church two years ago now. Two years. I won't forget. I was sitting in a park in Dallas. I was on my laptop, and I was scrolling through the Southwestern Job Board, and I saw that Hanley Baptist Church was looking for a pastor. And, uh, I, you know, I had I didn't, I'd never heard of Hanley Baptist Church. I didn't know where Hanley Baptist Church was, uh, but there was just something about it. I felt drawn to the opportunity. I really, I just felt just this kind of instinctual draw to, uh, to the opportunity. So I, I began to, to research the church. I began to research the community. I began to pray about this church and this opportunity. And I remember driving around uh, the community, uh, taking a look at the different churches and the people and, and so on and so forth. And as I'm investigating the churches and the community, I came uh, to, to two realizations. All right, number one was this. I saw that the city was not caring for the people on this side of town. And, and you, you just have to drive around the streets to, to realize that, right? I mean, I, I, was, I was amazed. I had, I had driven on, on better roads in the Mayan villages of Merida, right, than the one outside the front of my house, okay? Um, so I was like, well, the city's not taking care of, of these people. And I also noticed that the churches weren't taking care of the people. What I noticed as I researched into the churches here is that most every church in our community was in the same spot. It was small, old, white churches. Now, there's nothing wrong with small churches, and there's nothing wrong with old white people, okay? <laughs> By God's grace, I will be an old white man one day, all right? I hope. But the reality is our community is young. The median age here is 35 to 40 years old. These are people, households with children in them. Right? Our, our community is diverse. It's not monolithic. And so what I realized was the churches in the community aren't reflecting the people of the community, and that means the churches aren't reaching the people with the gospel. And by the way, there are people to be reached. Right? There are approximately 15,000 people in our zip code, and if you add up the average attendance of all of the churches in our zip code, we're... we're On an average Sunday, there are approximately 2,000 to 2,500 people in church in 76112. All right, so you you can do the math. All right, you can do the math. That means there's approximately, you know, 12 to 13,000 people in our zip code who have no connection with a local church. All right, so those, those numbers are staggering to me. All right, so, so I was learning all of this, okay, learning all of this, and, and, and this, this question kept burning inside of me, and I'd ask God in prayer, if the city's not caring for the people, if the churches aren't caring for the people, then who in the world is caring for these people? And I won't forget, God just gave me this sense, this calling, and it was kind of overwhelming, but it was like this, like, uh, Jared, you're going to do that, and you're going to lead a church to do that. These people won't be forgotten. They won't be left behind. They won't be without the grace of Jesus. And I'll tell you this, I had never in my life felt a more clear calling. I just knew that this is where God wanted me to be. And so I came with that mission to bring grace to Hanley. 
to, 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 to reach out to the people who are forgotten, who are left behind, who are on the fringes, the margins, right? And, and that was the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus. I don't know if you uh, remember this passage or not, but when Jesus preached his first sermon in Nazareth, this is what he said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus came to usher in a, a new period in, in, in redemptive history. He came in to usher in this period, this year, this season of the grace of God. And that's the heart of Jesus, to bring grace into a graceless world. That's his heart, and that should be the heart of, of his church as well. And so as I came here, I remember asking one time a veteran pastor this question. I said, how do you grow a church? And uh, he thought about it for a while. <laughs> And he, he, he said to me this, he said, you know, I, I look in the scriptures and everywhere Jesus goes, there's a crowd. And so I just take that to mean that people want to be where Jesus is. That was his response. That was his answer. And I thought about it, I thought, man, that is so true, right? Because this is what Jesus came to do. He came to proclaim liberty to captives, to bring freedom to the oppressed, to bring healing to the sick, right? Good news. He came to bring good news to the poor, and that's what people want. And when, when people hear the truth about Christ, they're drawn to that, right? They're drawn to that. It's amazing. And so that was my mission. That was my purpose. That was my calling, bring grace uh, to Hanley. And that's what we as a church have been working so hard uh, to accomplish, Right? I mean, these past 18 months have been incredible. We've, we've, we've seen people baptized, people saved. Right? We've been working to build relationships with the community around us to, to restore our reputation in the community. And God has been blessing our work like crazy. It's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, I'll never forget, I was at Fort Worth ISD meeting. They're talking about uh, how churches can partner with schools. I walk in late. To this meeting, I'm sitting in the back, and, and the representative from Fort Worth ISD standing in front of all these people talking about this, and they say, Hanley Baptist Church in East Fort Worth is doing a great job of this. I about fell out of my chair, right? I'm like, how do they know, like, Hanley Baptist? Wow, amazing, right? So God has been blessing our ministry. It's been incredible. It's, it's no better time, I don't think, to be a part of Hanley Baptist Church than right now, okay? But back in January, God really began to burden my heart for the future of our church, for the future of our church. Because we're in a low-income community, right? The average household income in our community is $46,000 a year. And that's, that's, that's generally a two-parent household. Okay, we're also uh, uh, home to the largest percentage of single moms in all of Fort Worth. And so you have a lot of moms working two, three, four jobs just trying to put food on the table for their kids, right? So we live in a place that is not affluent, all right? And we have our own financial struggles as a church anyways. And so I couldn't shake this idea that it's possible that we could continue to reach Hanley. We could continue to grow two, three, four, five hundred, however many the Lord brings us, and still one day have to shut down our doors simply because we couldn't afford to be here anymore. And so I couldn't shake that 
God wouldn't let that go from my mind. And so I got a couple of our long-term deacons together. I talked with Charles, Bob, and, and CM uh, before he had passed away. And, and we brought it up. And I said, guys, listen, this is, this is what's burdening me right now. God's doing amazing things. We've got a bright future ahead of us. But there are clouds out there, and they are big, and they are dark. And, and I don't know if we have a solution to these problems. And so they acknowledged, yeah, this is an issue. We know it's an issue. We brainstormed. What, what can we do? How can we solve this problem? Well, we, we came up with nothing, all right? <laughs> I mean, we had ideas, you know. It's not like we drew a blank. We had ideas. They were just none of them were good enough. None of them were going to solve the problem. So we walked out of that meeting agreeing together that we were going to pray that God would send a solution to that problem, all right? So we walked out of there agreeing to pray for that. Well, it wasn't long after that uh, that I began to connect with some pastors in the area um, of a church called the Church on um, Rush Creek. Rush Creek is a, a multi-site church. They have campuses in Arlington and Mansfield. Um, and it's led by a pastor named uh, Russ Barksdale. And, and Russ has been there for over 20 years, and, and God had re- has really blessed his, his leadership and his, and his ministry, and the church has just become very fruitful over the years. Um, and, and, and seeing how God has blessed them and, and believing that God blesses you so that you can be blessings uh, to others, so that you can bless others, they put together a network called 494 uh, to, to help pastors of churches like ours, okay? Now, now the 494 network, it, it, it stands for the Gospel of John, which is the fourth gospel, chapter 9, verse 4. And I want to read this verse to you. And Jesus says this there. He says, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And then he goes on to say this, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so the heart of of Rush Creek and the purpose of this network is to help pastors and churches like ours bring light into the darkness. All right, so I got to know these guys, and I was having breakfast with one of their pastors one morning several months ago now. And I was sharing with them all the great things that God is doing in our church, the, the people we've, we've seen come to Christ, the baptisms we've had, the, the relationships we've built in the community and, and, and how we've been growing and, and all these wonderful things that God is doing. Um, and, and so I shared all that with him, but I also talked to him about, um, about the, what, I, what God had burdened me with, about our future, creating a, a sustainable ministry so that we as a church could have a long-lasting gospel impact. And so I kicked around with him the things that, that the deacons and I had kicked around and, and no light bulbs went off. And, and I remember at the end of the conversation, as we were going our own ways, I just reached out there, kind of a Hail Mary, and I just said, hey man, what, what if we, tr- we talked about merging our churches together? Is that something that you guys do? Is that something you would be interested in? Is that something that we could talk about? And he said, absolutely, we can talk about that. And so we did. We set up a, an initial meeting to have a conversation. And that's what we did. We talked about what does this mean? What does this look like? How does that work? So on and so forth. And we just had this conversation. We prayed about it. We just kind of left it there and waited on the Lord. And so after that, I began to really research uh, into the church on Rush Creek. And what I found was really incredible because on paper, our churches were so similar. Our vision, our mission, 
Our philosophy of ministry, our theology, the, 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 the hopes that we have as churches, they were just so very, uh, very similar to one another. On paper, just in reality, they, they, were, they were much further along than we were, in my mind, as far as seeing that vision fulfilled. And so then I began to read this book called Better Together, which is, which is about churches doing this. Uh, and I discovered some interesting things, right? So, so, so in the landscape of, of churches in the United States, every year 4,000 churches close their doors. All right, it's a, it's a terrible problem we have. 4,000 churches every year close their doors. We only plant 3,700 new churches average every year, so we're, we're like losing ground, okay? But, um, but I did discover this that, um, let, me, let me pull up the right numbers here for you, um, that around 6,000 churches merge every single year and another 15,000 considered as an option. Now, that was interesting to me because I had never really heard of churches doing this, but what I discovered was that almost five times the number of churches are either merging or considering it versus the ones that are closing their doors. I thought that was amazing. What I discovered was there's one primary reason churches want to do this, and it doesn't have to do with financial problems like I was thinking at first. The number one reason churches want to do this or are seeking to do this is because they believe that they can do better ministry together than they can apart. And when I saw, man, that's the vision that's what we want to do. We want to reach Hanley. And yeah, we have things that are holding us back now, but if it's possible in any way that we could come together, if we could become one church and, and your strengths uh, compensate our weaknesses and vice versa, we could do more ministry together and we could see the vision to reach Hanley realized. Right? And so that just, I got bought in. And I thought, man, this is a good thing. This is something that we have, to, we have to talk about. I have to bring this up. And so I did. I, I got Charles and Joyce to come into my office one, uh, one day. And, and I, I was, I was uh, you know, I, I had no idea how the conversation was going to go. Let's just be honest. I had no idea, right? So I just said, hey, guys, listen, this is something that we could do. This is an opportunity that we could have. Would you be willing to come over there with me and talk about it? And they told me, yes which I was surprised, right? And later they told me, they said, Jared, we thought it was a terrible idea. We didn't want to do it, but we just wanted to go as a favor to you, right? That's what they told me. And I was so glad that they did, right? Because we walked into this meeting and, and there were they were skepticism, apprehension, you know, uh, some ambiguity, like what is this really about? And they walked out convinced, man, this is a viable option. This is a good opportunity for us as a church and so Charles uh, and I talked about it, said so we need to bring it up to the deacons. He, he talked to, to Bob, and, and Bob, just like them, he, he, he didn't receive it very well right up that, off, the, off the bat, he said. But, but you know what? He devoted an entire day to praying about this, an entire day. All day he prayed about it, asked the Lord, help me discern your will. And he walked out of that time of prayer believing, man, this is an answer to a prayer that we've been praying as a long time as a church. And so they were both on board. We decided to bring it to the deacons, and, and we did, and we brought the deacons and their wives and, and all the staff over to Rush Creek, and, and we talked it out, and we asked hard questions and, and tried to wrap our brain around what all this would mean. Um, but out of that and in a few other meetings, we, we all came out unanimously agreeing that, man, this is a good opportunity. This is a viable option. This is an answered prayer for our church. And so we're at the point now today where we're ready to have church-wide discussions 
about what this could mean for us as a church. All right, we have uh, done uh, all the legwork. We've, we've looked at every nook and cranny, and, and we've, we've done everything we could to make sure before we get to this point that this really is a good and viable option for us as a church, and we are all in agreement that it is, and so we're ready to bring it um, before you. And so what that means is that we're going to have a discussion about this. We're going to have a conversation, right? We're not making a decision. We're not there yet, all right, but we want to have a conversation about it. Some of you have heard about something like this, maybe going around rumors and stuff like that, and, and now we have uh, the opportunity to ask questions. You're going to have questions that you need answered. You're going to have concerns uh, that you want resolved, so on and so forth. And so we're going to do that, right? We want to talk about it and answer your questions. And so here's how we're going to do that. We're going to do that starting tonight at 6 o'clock in the fellowship hall. All right, so I want you to come. I'm going to be there. Pastor Russ will be there and, and a few other pastors from the church on Rush Creek. We want to unpack the vision for this. We want to, want to give you a more detailed explanation about what all this would mean for, for two churches to become one and how that would look and, and how that would help us reach our community and have a, have a long-lasting gospel impact here uh, in this place. And so we're going to do that tonight at 6 o'clock. All right, we're going to have our first forum on this opportunity. Now, listen, I know there's a cowboy game at 3.30, all right? Like, I know, okay? But... You know what? There's also a technology ESPN on your phone. It'll alert you, okay? It's important stuff, right? So come on, show up, all right? And we're going to talk, okay? We're going to talk. So when God does something new, right, it can be scary, can it? It can be scary. But that's to be expected because it's new. It's different. It's uncharted territory, right? We haven't been down a road uh, like that before. But, but that's okay because when you look at the scriptures, when God does something new, it's always good. It's always purposeful, it's always redemptive, and it's always glorious. And the reason that's true is because God is faithful. Amen? God is faithful. He's faithful in the good times, in the bad times, in the highs, and in the lows. And so I don't know how you're feeling right now. Maybe you feel overwhelmed that I've introduced an idea like that. Maybe you feel super concerned or, or, or skeptical, or maybe you're real excited. I don't know how you feel uh, right now, but I do know this, that God is always faithful. And so in just a minute, we're gonna sing a song, um, and I want you to focus on the faithfulness of God. And as we sing, I want it to be your prayer that God would help you trust him and discern his will as we begin to have this conversation as a church. Let's pray.